Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, for another All in Crypto podcast. Today, I am honored to have Dr. Navjit Daliwal, the CEO of Iagon, a decentralized storage solution building on top of the Cardano blockchain, here with me today to talk about his project. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be on the show and you know, uh, we're looking forward to answer questions or anything that, you know, community related might, um, a community might have in terms of uh, questions regarding Iagon and the path and the history and, and how we got to where we are today. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I was speaking to you a little bit off, off camera about my kind of excitement in regards to decentralized storage um, and how it's really nice to kind of find a blockchain project that is actually solving a real world problem. Um, so was very excited to get you on. And the fact that you guys are building on top of Cardano uh, really appealed to me. I'm sure many of the regular viewers on the channel know that I, I have a kind of great love for Cardano, the blockchain and, and, and everything to kind of come out of it. So was very excited to get you on. Uh, with all my guests, I kind of like to go back and start with a little bit about who you are uh, and perhaps how you got into uh, blockchain, crypto, uh, this space. Yeah. Sure. I mean, a little bit about myself. Uh, I was born in India. Uh, I grew up most of my life in Canada. Uh, I uh, currently reside in, in Norway. I, I moved here in 2013. Uh, so I'm uh, personally from the healthcare sector. Uh, I was a dental dentist professional. And I began my career in a lot to do with uh, sensitive data. Uh, so in regards to uh, healthcare sector, there's a lot of patient files, you know, um, things that that need to be kept private and and uh, secure. And I was surprised actually uh, at that time. At the same time, I, I did graduate. I did go into a little bit of blockchain. That's where kind of I I tied the two together. I, I did uh, read the Satoshi paper in terms of the Bitcoin paper, and uh, I. I didn't instantly become interested after a few reads, of course, with some skepticism at first. And then after a few reads, kind of understood the general premise of it. And and my my ambition or my passion in terms of in terms of technology and and kind of new innovative technology uh, actually comes back from my high school days. I did some programming in the high school days uh, in C++ and things like that. But uh, that's how I kind of kept up to date with uh, upcoming tech and, and things like that, even though it was a bit later in Bitcoin. But after I read the the Bitcoin paper, uh, I kind of understood, uh, you know, what this potential could be in in, in uh, cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain in general. And in, in my sector, the biggest problem was in the healthcare sector was keeping a sensitive data secure and, and private. Uh, so that was, uh, and, and I was surprised at the fact that, you know, a lot of the data was at that time unsecure. There was a lot of data leaks and, and, and that's the problem that I was trying to solve or, or trying to, uh, you know, try, trying to build something around that and that include blockchain technology uh, layer as, as a solution for that problem. Um, a lot happened during my life during 2013 uh, onwards. In terms of you know busy, uh, I had two kids and and uh, also had my own uh, own practice, uh, dental practice, and also I had a few other startups uh, that that I did along the way uh, to 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 come to Iagon. So a lot of busy periods. So I didn't come to back to the idea till 2017. Fortunately, the other two businesses that I started were very successful and they're self-driven 
you know, and and I'm not needed, you know, on 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 these businesses uh, and twenty four seven kind of method, right? So uh, I'm very fortunate in the sense that they were very successful, and I'm able to concentrate my time on on Aiga. And 2017 was when I first uh, kind of reapproached the idea in early 2017, and I started reaching out to because I wasn't like the expert in the space. I have uh, coming from an entrepreneur background. Uh, I do understand tech uh, a bit, but uh, not in de- in depth uh, like the people that were in the space. So I reached out to a lot of experts within the space through LinkedIn, through other channels. And I met uh, a few uh, of the co-founders uh, that are co-founders today at that time. So I met Alad, uh, Dr. Alad Harrison. He's from Israel. Uh, he's a machine learning expert, economics professor, um, and he brings his knowledge of machine learning into Iagon. And also I met Dr. Rohit Gupta, who's a former director of technology for Expedia. He's currently one of the senior managers at Google. Uh, he is. He did his thesis back in 2005 in regards to decentralized compute. He finalized his thesis and in, in summarized his thesis that there wasn't a way to incentivize the resource providers. Um, and and then when the token model was presented to him, he was very intrigued to jump on board as well. Uh, and then we had Dr. Claudio Lima. He's also from the U.S. like Rohit, uh, and he is the former director. Uh, sorry, former CTO of Huawei in East Asia. And, and he actually currently works with uh, uh, large enterprises and also governments in terms of uh, blockchain architecture uh, and understanding the blockchain architecture. So educated, educational um, part. All these uh, co-founders, uh, to be transparent, are, 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 are part-time, I'm full-time. Because of their large salary at their current job, we're not able to, as a startup, afford them. Uh, on a full-time basis, but we are talking to them bi-weekly and and in discussions with them all the time to to in terms of direction and, and progress and things like that. So that's a little bit tied into what uh, how we got into the space and how I got into the space and how Igon came to fruition. With these three, uh, we kind of evolved the idea a bit more. Uh, and uh, the, it became more instead of just focusing on on healthcare records and patient privacy and data privacy, um, it, it became more of a general uh, construction, which involved decentralized compute, uh, decentralized storage for the general user base for every types of all types of files, and also uh, tying in the machine learning on top of that to learn the behavior of the research providers. So that's kind of a general summary how we got to, I guess, the beginning of Iagon in 2017. Wow. Yeah, quite an interesting backstory there. We come from similar backgrounds uh, in the dental trade. Um, That is a full-time, hands-on experience, uh, to to, to put it lightly. Um, So I can understand just how busy you were with all that. But to to, to come back to to Iagon, it's very interesting. A lot of people in the crypto space start off with that initial seed, which often is the Satoshi white paper. Um, and then it grows and then things start to make a lot of sense. And then they sort of transition into this industry. And, and, and having an entrepreneurial background, I'm sure, was a massive advantage. It sounds like you've got a really, really impressive um, team. And what you guys are trying to do, just in regards to uh, decentralized storage, is absolutely massive. It's very interesting, your story about one of your founders at Google um, who had kind of 
struggled, I believe, to find an incentive for the decentralization of storage. And then all of a sudden you have crypto and this kind of tokenized model that comes in and, 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 and changes that. And crypto blockchain, crypto is such a blanket term, but, but the underlying technology that's driving this revolution is changing so many areas. And decentralized storage, I believe, is one of the most underlooked areas that it's changing because decentralized storage is a colossal industry that has a um, monopoly currently over it in regards to the likes of Amazon Web Services and these kind of providers that you guys are disrupting. Before I jump into Igon specifically, I'd really like to talk a little bit about the industry that you're disrupting. So you've mentioned a number of things there, machine learning, compute, um, decentralized data storage. Can we maybe start with decentralized data storage as an industry and why um, it really appealed to you? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, as I mentioned, in terms of healthcare, it's it's probably the most sensitive data out there. And that's how I uh, wanted to, well, that's how I kind of got into the space. And I think that there's still to this day, the biggest problem is data leaks. And, and uh, you know, the, the leaks happen every every other week, you know, and it's uh, in the news, in the papers, you know, large uh, databases are leaked everywhere. So um, what we wanted to do, because we'll sway away from those centralized types of solutions where they're kind of like a data lake where you're uh, collecting all the information in one place, in one server at one time, where the file, uh, if that it's usually not Google or Amazon itself that's not specifically secure, but the implementation of that uh, in a business is is where the errors occur because you need a human to implement that. It does you know humans always make mistakes, and, and unfortunately, in this kind of situation, it's not really it, this mistake leads to a lot of uh, catastrophic events, right? So. Uh, what what we wanted to do instead of having it in a specific location at a specific time, we're trying to uh, shard the data or not trying to. We are actually showcasing that in our testnet currently, sharding the data, encry encrypting and sharding it, and spreading it across to resource providers across a certain network. And that way, uh, you don't have a data lake. So what we like to use the analogy of is uh, or not the analogy what we try to implement is a secure lake okay uh secure frozen lake and that's the concept away from the data lake so data lake if there's an encryption and you break through the encryption it's encryption as a fence you can as as a, a hacker jump over the encryption and swim around the lake collect as much data as you want and and you know do with it as you wish Whereas the secure lake uh, concept, secure frozen lake concept, or what we're working on is that you have, think about a bunch of mini lakes that also have a fence around it, but they're completely frozen. So even if you jump over the encryption, which you break the encryption, there's no way of understanding what that data is or, or what that actually means. And there's no way to put those lakes together and the only person that can do that or the, or the entity that can do that, that has the fingerprint or the hash that specifically associated with that file. And that I think that that's the premise of why we think that, uh, you know, centralized solutions are not the best solution in, in, the, in, in this sense. Also, when it terms comes to compliance. So compliance is another big factor uh, that we think that we can solve, not only in the centralized, but in the decentralized space as well. We think that a lot of the the storage uh, solutions came early 
And, and that uh, came right before GDPR was kind of a prominent thing in 2018. So GDPR's premise, just if no one knows, is, you know, you can't have data transferred outside of the EU. And also a personal data, for example, uh, you're obliged to delete it if the person deems uh, they want to delete it. So, of course, according to the regulation or retention period that that is under regulation. But if you're a personal ent- a personal person and you have personal files and things that are sensitive to you and you want to delete it, the the storage provider has the obligation to delete that file. That's a little bit different from the blockchain world because uh, blockchain is about immutability and things like that. But when it comes to storage, it's a different matter because it's sensitive information. It's personal to you. It's not about financial freedom. It's about securing your data, making it private, and making sure that that your data doesn't get in the wrong hands at the wrong time, right? So we believe that we can solve those problems both in the traditional space, in the Web 2 space, and in the Web 3 space in terms of compliance and data leaks and security and making sure that users have control over their own data, not that you know the third parties are sharing your data without, without you knowing and selling your data and, and, and making profit off of that. So we want to give that control back to the user using the decentralized network yeah, it's very um, in line with what this industry was born out of. You know, Satoshi essentially tried to create a peer-to-peer e-cash that removed the third-party institutions, whereas you guys are trying to do the same thing. And in doing that, you give, in Satoshi's vision, money back to the users. Uh, in your case, you're giving data back to the users and the control over that. Um, I've done a lot of looking into uh, data storage solutions and one thing that really shocked me was uh, data storage being centralized in the sort of Web 2 existing world. You know, there are problems with it that Web 3 is solving. <clears throat> but actually, there are current problems that get solved by data storage solutions like yourself in the Web 3 world. Um, and I was shocked to find out that the majority of NFTs are actually not stored on a blockchain they're stored yeah. on services outside of them that are centralized and that seemed very um uh ironic it, it is a nice way of putting it to what blockchain is trying to do and you guys essentially are implementing a decentralized solution to solve that because storing data on a blockchain can be depending on what blockchain extremely expensive i think there was one analogy that to store an iphone image on ethereum would cost you in the thousands of, of, of dollars to do that. So before we dive into Igon specifically, and we've spoken about some of the, the issues with the kind of current um, centralized world of data storage and how there's pain points, there's there's vulnerability points, there's censorship issues. Um, maybe we could dive a little bit into the kind of issues right now with data storage on Web3. Maybe if you could extend on a little bit of what I've said, and if I've even got that right, yeah. just from my... Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I can definitely cut, cut go into that as well. But it, just before you pointed out, you know, cost effectiveness is another thing in terms of centralized solutions, right? So uh, it, it, that's another thing that decentralized Web three can solve in terms of cost points and making sure that you know cost is much reduced as well. And going de- going into the decentralized solutions, I think that it's important to point out that. You know, IPFS uh, is the first and, you know, it's a great model in in the beginning, it's decentralized, but there are problems because it's very early, right? And it's constructed in a way that 
It didn't implement compliance uh, compliance factors. It didn't implement all these other factors that that Iagon um, aims to solve. The other thing that you talked about in terms of NFTs, uh, NFTs. Uh, you know, if people don't know, uh, a lot some services pin it to a specific IPFS address. But the problem there is that if someone removed that pin, that 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 NFT is worthless. And and uh, you know that's where that's another problem that we aim to solve it with Iagon, right? Um, and and that goes back into the decentralized space in terms of not just storage protocols and and decentralized compute protocols. Uh, that majority of the uh, projects, even though their aim is to be decentralized and being positive in the ecosystem, decentralized. The premise is that every project to be decentralized needs a decentralized storage protocol. The infrastructure needs to be decentralized in order for them to say, okay, we are decentralized. So that's uh, that's a big premise that a lot of projects haven't solved today, right? And th that's why I think that decentralized storage and decentralized compute is going to be big, not only within the Web3 uh, space, but also in the Web2 space, because it's the infrastructure layer that's going to tie the two together. Uh, it's not going to be the dApps or the apps that are built on top of that. That's going to come. But the first integration for Web2 is going to have to be the infrastructure layer. That way that, for example, Web2 companies can understand compliance in a factor that, okay, this, this storage protocol is being compliant, uh, which, for example, IPFS in, in its construct cannot be compliant uh, because you know the shards are spread across randomly. And that goes for Arweave and any, any competitors as well, even though Arweave uh, from what I see in terms of uh, in terms of their links, I think they have around fifty or sixty nodes, something like that. But a lot of them are run off of AWS or DigitalOcean infrastructure. So, and and I might be understanding that incorrectly, but for me, it's it's still centralized in a sense because you're not using kind of a, a nodes that are kind of, for example, Cardano, where where they have single node operators. You know, a lot of the a lot of the percentage is very mixed instead of all of it being, or majority of it being centralized uh, servers or nodes, right? So yeah. this is what we aim to solve in, in this space as well. The compliance factor where we can allocate the shards specifically to a different region uh, and and you know spread them across according to the end user's needs. And that's what we do uniquely compared to the decentralized storage protocols. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, decentralized storage protocols that kind of just kick the can down. They kind of put the centralization out of sight, even though it's implemented kind of through a back door in regards to using Amazon Web Services to, to put pins and, and, and things like that. And when you're talking about, um, you're talking about Filecoin's interplanetary file system, when you're talking about IPFS. Uh, um, th th this is why I was so excited to have you on, because it's very apparent to me, not just how disruptive what you guys are doing is to the Web2 world, but how crucial it is to the Web3 world, because it's needed. You know, if we think about things like GameFi, for example, where is all that? And you're going to need a lot of data for that. Where is all that data going to be stored? Are you then going to um, reintroduce centralized entities to this kind of decentralized or supposedly decentralized universe? Or are you going to go for a more cost-efficient decentralized solution like what you guys are providing to build your game or whatever it may be on. GameFi is just one example, NFTs are another. There's a whole um, range of different industries that are 
dependent on data storage within the kind of Web3 space. Um, so it's nothing short of, again, for me, it's really nice to find a problem that's being solved with Web3 and then a project that's doing that like yourselves. Um, you know, it, it, it really does uh, uh, appeal to me. Um, and you mentioned something about utilizing Cardano's state pools. Now, I really want to get into Igon specifically, but can we just touch on that a little bit before we d- we actually dive into Igon in a bit more detail? Well, well, we know that a lot of the stake pool providers, the single single asset stake pool providers, or, and sorry, the single uh, providers, basically the, the people that have their own stake pools, personal stake pools. L- a lot of the Cardano community is, and, and that doesn't go for all. That's why Cardano is very unique. I think a, a lot of the stake pool providers are very in-depth in terms of technology and, and in terms of developing. They're very for the ecosystem and, and developing um, towards a specific goal. And they have a similar ethos when it comes to all these stake pool providers, right? And, you know, there might be difference, differences in terms of how we think, um, but the one thing that we have in common is that a lot of these stake pool providers are are also expanding their services, not just to, for example, to mine uh, ADA or I wouldn't call mines there, but but to earn ADA in terms of you know uh, running a stake pool, but they're also integrating other uh, other protocols on on their node uh, to to let's say provide storage and and uh, compute. So we have been already in talks with a lot of stake pool providers in the Cardano ecosystem that can provide their storage and compute and they're running their stake pool. Uh, stake pool. We want to decentralize that as well. So I know there's a lot of people that run their nodes on AWS and Google. Uh, so we want to also de- decentralize that infrastructure. So being able to run a Cardano node in a decentralized infrastructure is something that we are also working on. And that way, for example, even that even the non-tech savvy people can be able to run a Cardano node. Um, and that's kind of the also the premise of we'll go then to, into that later is. Igon aims to make everything user-friendly and uh, adopt these people that want to be part of the ecosystem that are not able to kind of do the maintain the technical or have the technical uh, knowledge and maintain the nodes and things like that. So it'll be much easier to just simply run a node that is um, that is built on top of the decentralized infrastructure. So we are talking with the stake pool operators to understand, you know, the problems and and problems they're facing in terms of you know DB sync and other things that that are a problem and we're trying to solve these issues using the decentralized infrastructure and we're trying to build these tools on top of that to make it easier for stake pool operators and using as much resources as we, as we can not just to waste the resources uh, like storage and compute and and uh, and and use as much as uh, infrastructure as we can that is already built by Cardano. Yeah, I've always said this. I think Cardano has probably the best consensus mechanism and incentive model for that consensus mechanism in the entire space. I'm also a big fan of the Polkadot blockchain. They basically have Ouroboros at the heart. They've just added something called Grandpa on top of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's quite – I always like to bring that up because it shows that there's something there, right? People see value in this and and, and true to Cardano's kind of ethos of peer-reviewing things, they put the hard work in. And it's now um, kind of proven to be 
I guess, the right route that they took. And, and this is the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize with Cardano is those stake pool operators, I happen to, I've been running a stake pool since 2020, just before everything kicked off, um, or it might be 2021, early 2021, I think. Um, those stake pool operators are a massive powerhouse that if you look at Cardano's original design, it was built in mind not just to secure the layer one, but multiple layers, layer twos, projects, side chains. You know, you can implement these stake pools, this resource in many things. And it's very cool to hear that you guys are um, looking to utilize that. And maybe we'll talk a little bit um, after we've done this interview about how maybe I could get involved with that. That would be something that I'd, I'd certainly be um, um, interested in. Can we now move on to Iagon? So can you give us a... We've gone into the industry. We've gone into a number of different things. Can you give us a kind of overview of what Iagon is before we break it down in a little bit more detail? Sure. Uh, so Iagon is a decentralized cloud storage and cloud compute uh, protocol. I mean, we we want to obviously differentiate ourselves. We can go into the differences. So basically, in premise and an easy way to explain this, we're we're kind of like an Airbnb for storage and compute. So we're uh, matching the end users uh, with uh, the resource providers, and we're matching it in kind of a unique way in terms of that's where the difference is in terms of decentralized uh, other protocols is we're learning the behavior of the resource providers. So that's where we differentiate ourselves. So we learn the behavior in terms of different variables that might be important to the end user, like performance, like availability, trustability, location for compliance reasons, many other uh, variables that we can include in the future, like, for example, ISO certificates, uh, green energy, uh, and things like that that are important for the end user that they might want to utilize as a decentralized network. And then we match them uh, specifically to their needs according to those variables, right? And then the user has all the power in terms of controlling where they want to allocate or specifically what kind of resource providers they, they, they're looking for. Um, and that's what we're doing in a premise. And first, we're focusing on the decentralized storage. And then next year, we'll be focusing on the decentralized compute. And what's the difference between those two uh, industries for or those two kind of um, um, missions for anybody that's not familiar? So what's the difference between decentralized storage and decentralized compute? Yeah, so for decentralized storage, we're looking at uh, if you're looking to store any files specifically, if you're looking to shard or shard, not shard, but slice your data and make sure it's encrypted and secure and using a compliant network, compliance in a box, basically. And for decentralized compute, it's more so, so the processing power, meaning, for example, there's a lot of processing power required for many different things like games uh, you know if, if for machine learning and for uh for for, for example research uh, ai there's a lot of things that are uh, tied in but both of those two are very tied together because usually when you require compute you require storage as well because there's a data requirement for that so uh, they're they're needed hand in hand so they tie in very well together even though they're for purpose a different purpose yeah, it's just just quickly before we uh, move a little bit more into detail on things. Um, I believe I read something and it says actually by 2030, uh, uh, they believe that the sort of uh, decentralized data storage industry could grow to as big as $1.6 trillion. I mean, that is 
the I'm, I don't even want to go to some of the estimates people have put on centralized storage solutions, let alone um, you know this kind of decentralized disruptive uh, technology. So focusing on decentralized storage first, then moving on to decentralized compute, and then there's going to be a whole load of things that are just going to explode out of that. Anybody can take part in this. So if you have a big enough um, hard drive, if you have uh, enough computing power, you can basically take part, you can commit to the network, and you can provide storage on the Iagon network. Correct. So if you're any, so we haven't put any limitations currently in the in the test net. We we uh, we're not limiting any users because we want to understand um, kind of the reward mechanism and how we can reward these specific resource providers, right? So if you're allocating your idle capacity, so idle capacities meaning if you're not using them, you're running your computer, you're having a coffee, you're eating, things like that. But you're not utilizing the full power of your computer, right? Never, um, you're not using 100% of your or of your capacity. So you can earn passive revenue or passive income uh, if you allocate, for example, your storage or compute to an, a network like Iagon. And what you re return, get in return, is Iagon tokens. So you get that as 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 a network that's uh, as providing your idle capacity to the network. So, uh, you know, in the test net, for example, currently there's about uh, over 220 people that have uh, that have already kind of set up their node uh, and uh, provided a storage uh, storage to to Iagon already. So we've been a very success uh, in terms of the number of nodes that have already participated. And, you know, we'll welcome anyone because we the software that and, and people sometimes get scared that, OK, you know, is this going to be difficult? Is it going to be hard uh, to allocate the storage? Our aim is always to make it simple, simple for a, as much as possible. Of course, there's going to be advanced features for advanced users, but the the premise of it is we want to try to onboard as many kind of general users as possible, regular Joes as we call them, that that want to participate in the network but don't have a clue on how to maintain, set up a node. So it'll be very easy to set that up and allocate storage. And that's what in, in the test net, we're actually demonstrating that. So a lot of people that have no tech experience have set up these nodes and, and allocated their uh, storage to the network already. Yeah, Web3 has to be easy to use, right? I think this is something yeah. that at the moment, it's in a lot of areas, it's not. Um, but in order for us to kind of gain mass adoption and get those participants and your average Joe's, like you say, involved, you know, it, it needs to be easy. Uh, there can't be any kind of complexity to it or people just go, uh, yeah. we'll, you know, switch off to it. So in regards to being a node, is do you have to hold the Iagon token? Is there some sort of an economic model that's factored into what you guys are doing? Correct. There is. So yeah, as a node operator in the current testnet, there isn't any needed uh, IG tokens because this is a testnet. But in, in the mainnet, what we're planning on doing when the uh, product is launched, there is going to be staking involved. So you do have to stake a certain amount of IG in order to operate a node. And um, there, the amount actual needed, we haven't released that information yet, but we're going to be finalizing that hopefully by next week, early next week. And we will showcase that with the community. And it is going to be a variable amount in, in terms of depending on the type of device you have and the type of setup you have. Uh, it, it also depends on the performance of your specific device as well. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. A lot of people just put a blanket amount on, which 
I think you've I think that's a really good idea that you've you've kind of um tailored it to just your involvement almost in the network. Um so I think that's a a, a very good idea. And will there be how do you ensure that data providers are um providing that data? How do you how do you ensure that people uh, have stored. stored the data? Is there some sort of an economic penalty that's incurred there or not? I think people think that's quite a taboo thing, but there has to be, you know, this is what the tokenization model is all about. There has to be incentives and perhaps, but not always, penalties for people that um, misbehave. Yes, I, I uh, we completely agree. Like there, ha- especially when it comes to storage, because it's very sensitive, and we don't want to lose data um, when it comes to um, storing files. Right, you have to be able to access your file. You have to be able to kind of download your file when you want it. Right, so. The variables that we're looking at, performance, availability, and things like that, these are things that we take into account. So for the user wants high performance, high availability, we're only allocating to storage providers that have that capacity. Uh, furthermore, we have different kind of mechanisms that implemented that that uh, discourage kind of bad behavior. So that's the reputation uh, protocol that we have uh, in, in, the, in, in the system where, you know, uh, you have a reputation score based on the variables that are occurring. So if you are um, deleting files and accessing files, this it kind of uh, decreases your score in terms of uh, the repetition and further uh, files or shards won't be allocated to you. So uh, just to be sure, uh, we the encryption me- mechanism that we have implemented or uh, as, as the encoding mechanism that we have put that allows us to actually, uh, you can miss 50, 57% of the shards and still recover the file. And you can make it even more redundant than that, meaning that you can uh, have a lesser percentage of files that are available and still recover the file. So we put mechanisms in place, even if a node is down or even, even if we're allocating to the highest performing nodes and let's say four or, or 57% of them go down. And 50, if 57% of them go down, we can still recover that file. So there's mechanisms in place that we can uh, we can allocate, we can still recover the file. So the penalties come in in a worst case scenario. Um, so we don't want to penalize node operators uh, just like that because we understand that node operations are, are a hard thing to do as, uh, especially for the advanced users and, and things like that. They, they want to, there's things that can happen that are out of, the, out of your control. Uh, you know, electricity in the area gets cut off or there's rain and thunderstorms, right? So these th- these kind of things happen. Uh, we don't want to penalize them. We have a different mechanism. So we have uh, something called staking rewards. So you as a staker also earn revenue from the protocol that's coming in. So first, that is the, the one uh, that is decreased if there's any kind of faults. Then it's uh, the rewards, the Iagon rewards that are slashed. The last part is the stake uh, that that is associated. So the amount of stake that that is uh, allocated. So if, for example, you shut down your node, there's no response, there's no tickets filed or things like that. That's something that uh, that will take seriously, right? Uh, because you uh, you shut down without warning. You didn't let us know that you're shutting down your node. And and because because there's files at risk, we have to make sure that there's pen, penalty enforced, right? And I think that 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 is something that needs to be done, especially in this type of system, because 
uh, files are something that needs to be secure and available to the end users that that are uploading them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's got. I think people think it's quite a taboo thing, slashing, um, but it plays a role, and actually, it plays a vital role. You know, how do you uh, make sure that someone is honest and trustworthy? Well, you hit them in the pocket. Um, mm. That's and 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 you know that's I think a, a very necessary part of things. Although I think it's very good that you do allow for. Um, things that are out of your control to avoid punishing people that have perhaps, or not punishing, but 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 uh, slashing um, if people haven't perhaps on purpose done something or or, or through right. negligence or, or or something like that. So right. I think that's absolutely brilliant. So you, you've spoke about sharding. Sharding is a really big concept in crypto um, because it's kind of a there's lots of benefits to it. So. I just want to sort of go through and, and 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 maybe you can talk me through how the process of I have some data, I want to put that on the Iagon network, how that gets stored. What what does that look like? You know, you spoke about sharding to go to these multiple different places, and then you as a user can click your key and it all comes back to you. Can yeah. you talk me through that? So everything is obviously automated. Uh, it's not something that is visible to the naked eye, right? But just to give a premise and making maybe a simple kind of analogy and how that's done. So as you upload a file, it's encrypted, meaning that let's say we'll take that file and we'll we'll use the analogy as, as a puzzle, right? So that file is a puzzle and we put an encryption on top of it. Encryption is just a mechanism to protect your file uh, from any harm doing, and that encryption is kind of a security. So we'll call that like a black marker, right? We'll black marker the uh, puzzle, and then we what we do is we take the puzzle and we put it through a shredder. Okay, a shredder is kind of like a uh, the sharding mechanism, right? It's slicing the file in many pieces, and usually what happens in a decentralized protocol is that you make redundant copies of this puzzle and 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 spread it randomly to to resource providers, right? But what we're doing here is we're, we're shredding it, and we're we're not replicating anything. We're adding a little bit extra pieces, and we're randomly picking uh, pieces that we can recover from from the encoding. And not to overcomplicate things, but we we spread these slices or, or these shards specifically to resource providers that you are uh, looking for. So in your in your subscription, you're kind of signing up for, depending on what you want, performance, or where you want your um, uh, location or in terms of where you want your data stored, how often do you want the resource provider to be available? This is just more so from a cost aspect. So if you, if you have archiving data that you're not going to be accessing all the time, you can have that availability down to lower, meaning that you can use nodes that aren't uh, as costly as uh, high efficient nodes, right? That way you're saving on costs because you're not, you know that you're not accessing your files. But if you're accessing your files, you make it highly available, you pay more. And now these slices get allocated according to your metrics that you have set in your subscription. And then basically you're allocated to the, those shards are allocated. And when you, when you want to bring that file together, uh, you're using a signature that's only associated with your kind of uh, profile or your wallet. 
and you're only you're recalling all these pieces. But you don't need the, the beauty about this encoding is that you don't need all the slices to recover that file. You only need 43% of that of, of those slices to recover your file. So collectively, whoever, whenever that first slice comes, or whenever these these first 43% slices come, then you'll receive your file. And this is an instantaneous process. It's not like you're not, this is, I'm just trying to break down the analogy in a slower fashion, but it's not something that a user should notice. Yeah, fascinating. I thought that was a great analogy. I really loved the um, um, shredder uh analogy i think that's 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 a perfect one for it you know and you, you get all these pieces you send them around and then you bring them all back in um yeah. but you don't actually need the whole a4 you only need 43 no. percent of it which i think is brilliant and i think that also um protects against this is the uh perhaps issue with maybe decentralized uh things is if some people do go offline for whatever reason you've kind of protected yourself against that um can we move on to the token so what does the i OG token. Um, what's what's its role in everything? So the IAG token is basically for. Uh, there's a few uh, mechanisms that the IAG uh, uh, token does. First is the staking mechanism, which is uh, making sure the network is secure and protected. That's the utility. That's the main premise of it. So that when you're a node operator, there's a trust bond between the network. And uh, you as a node operator that you're willing to stake a certain amount of money or, or tokens that that you are a, a trustworthy uh, uh, operator in, in the ecosystem, right? So and another mechanism is the, the protocol revenues. So uh, we are allocating. Uh, so let's say if someone signs up for a subscription, they're paying a specific amount of fee. So let's say that fee is $10. So 90% of that fee is going directly to the resource provider, okay? And 10% of that is going to uh, the IGON treasury, but not all of it. So some of that is going to IG stakers, people that are staking in the network. Some of that is going to buy back IG tokens in order to incentivize resource providers more. And uh, some of that is going to the IGON treasury. Uh, also, Furthermore, we don't want that treasury to sit idle all the time or even the 90% of the rewards, right? So let's say you have a monthly prescription or even for NFTs uh, as Arweave has the PermaWeb uh, solution, as people might know, where you know you can store data, quote unquote, forever. It's not forever, but it's for a long period of time. So uh, basically, you're paying that fee upfront as an end user. Um, but the problem here is that 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 money is stagnant. There's no way to use that. So what we've implemented here is to use that premise or that stagnant amount. So you're paying the resource provider monthly, but there's still a month to earn or earn from that specific uh, allocation. So what we're going to do is we're going to allocate that in Pacific protocols, for example, for stake, staking pool operators where we're earning a certain uh, yield from that or from, for example, a protocol like Genius Shield, where we're supplying the ADA and, and earning yield on top of that, a stagnant amount. So this stagnant amount, the yield that occurs also goes back to uh, resource providers and IAG stakers. So there's plenty of 
kind of uh, use cases where Igon is is playing. In the future, there's also going to be governance implemented, where the, the governments to, uh, governance can also be uh, implemented as uh, the Igon token can also be used as a governance token as well. So uh, there's uh, some utilities that we're working on that that can be used, and we're not asking people to pay in the subscription for Igon tokens because that creates a sell pressure that we don't want on the market. Uh, we want a different mechanism. So what we're doing is the the fees are paid in any other token that is stable asset or something like ADA, something like a stable coin that has kind of good amount of liquidity on the exchanges uh, that we're able to convert to ADA uh, and and uh, use as uh, extra revenue point for the company and for the people that are staking with us. Wow, I love how well thought out each and every aspect of this the, the, this project is. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you. I was actually going to ask if the fees are paid in IOG, um, but they're not. And I can see your reasons why um, that's the case. Um, I think that makes a, a hell of a lot of sense. And I love how you're coming up with ways to incentivize people. And uh, we spoke about how data storage is a real problem that's being solved with, with, with Web3. Um, it's nice very refreshing to have a token that actually plays a role and has utility. There are Mm. so many tokens out there, countless that are just tokens for the sake of being tokens. Um, You know, there's, there's nothing really no need for them. Um, And I I love the fact that, you know, there's a, there's a real need for the Iagon token. Spoken about test nets. You've spoken about a number of different things or, or, or hinted at them. What stage is Iagon currently at? Where are you with all of this? Yeah, so I mean, for for now, we are aiming for the mainnet actually this coming month, and uh, we have actually built tools on top of that. Um, so, so another problem within the decentralized storage network is that the tools being built there's there's the storage layer, and there's not enough tools being built on top of that for the infrastructure layer. So, what we're trying to do here is build tools to push the adoption forward from our side. Uh, like we have a couple of tools that are, are we're building like Ledgerflow and and uh, Stature. So Ledgerflow is a invoicing system where you can as uh, and a multi-sig system where you can as a user control your uh, send and receive invoices and control your accounting. Uh, and everything is using the decentralized storage network, meaning that all these invoices are stored on the uh, on the on the decentralized storage protocol but you're unknowingly using it but it's a feature that we're adding uh to create a use case on top of the storage because storage itself is is not a it, it's great play for sure because every project will need it but there's going to have to be use cases that that uh, uh push the adoption and we're looking for kind of kind of like some a suite like how Google has built their plays and, and we were going to try to build these use cases where the Google, for example, has built Gmail and Google Drive and things like that that are built on top of the infrastructure, but have a use case that that pushes user adoption specifically for them. And this is what we're trying to do is build these use cases on top of Iagon that push the adoption on Iagon like Ledgerflow. And the multi-sig is actually going to be released next week. Um, and and uh, the multi-sig will have uh, you can uh, send multiple bulk payments, uh, recurring payments, uh, things like that. It's going to be unique to the Cardano ecosystem as well. And the next part is uh, after the mainnet, we have the ambassador program. The ambassador program, uh, also, we're going to take a page out of 
So we like to we like to take successful models from the past and and try to implement that on our on our project and our protocol. So what we're doing with the ambassador program, taking a page out of Drop uh, uh, Dropbox and how they implemented and how they got their referral program kicked started and how they became so big in such a short amount of time. I'm not sure if people remember that, but you know, it was a time where, you know, Dropbox was really big, not now, but be, at that time they had a great referral program. And we're trying to take that page out of the book, trying to make sure that they, you know, drive the adoption uh, and reward people from the ambassador program. So, you know, we have a big community and we want to use the different knowledges and different kind of paths they have and different connection networking they have and utilize that. So uh, we're rewarding them and giving them incentives to drive adoption to Iagon. So if they onboard clients, they will get some kickbacks uh, for onboarding that client, right? So we're trying to do that and maybe also gamify that a little bit to have leaderboards of the best kind of ambassadors or the best kind of referrals that 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 uh, maybe reward them monthly. And we're thinking of unique things of how to drive that adoption and retain those customers as well. Wow. Sounds like you've got a lot going on. Um, yes. <laughs> fascinating from start to finish. I really do, um, hopefully, uh, my viewers will absolutely love this. I have thoroughly uh, enjoyed speaking with you. I just want to ask you one more question uh, before I let you go. Uh, and that is, we've spoken about where you're currently at. We've spoken about what the project is trying to do. What can we look forward to in the future? I mean, we've got a, a hell of a lot to look forward to right now and that's coming right. up in the kind of immediate future. But what's the vision? You know, what, 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 where do you want to be um, five years down the line? You know, what, 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 yeah. what can we leave on that? So we we want to have computing by the people for the people. And and this means that, you know, in the initial time, there has to be some kind of direction, which which uh, is what we're trying to do. Give it direction and give it uh, a way to move forward. Uh, but the in the end, we don't want to be running that full time. We want to have a solution there that people are governing themselves and also a solution that people are running themselves. Uh, meaning that in the long term, what we want to do is we we, we want to be hands off in that sense. We want to make sure the community and that's why we have an ecosystem fund as well to drive the adoption, something the ecosystem fund, hopefully, if we get to a large enough scale, will be used uh, for adoption onto Iagon. So uh, something similar to Catalyst, where we're kind of driving adoption and building infrastructure on top or building dApps, useful dApps on top of Iagon. And you know, the, the next year we're looking at decentralized compute. We have an Agora platform, which is a public uh, public storage protocol that we are uh, planning. That's a beast in itself because uh, it's basically something similar to Reddit, where you have it uh, open, but instead of being a to topic being a text, the topic is a file, and that file is curated and managed specifically by the community. And it's public form where you have an open files. Um, by the community and moderated by the community. Um, so this is something that we're building out at the end of next year after the after the decentralized compute. And we can continue to use case. Uh, we have two proposals in Catalyst, uh, which is uh, Stature and Fluxion. Stature is unique in itself. I think we're using the repetition model that we have within ourselves, but we're allowing uh, basically if, if it gets approved, 
what we're going to be building is a repetition system for the Web3 ecosystem. So, we, for example, when you're having Reddit, it's a great example. I love, I love using it. Reddit, you have Karma points. and Quora, you have your own points. You cannot mix and mash those two together because uh, you have to build your repetition again on Quora or Reddit, vice versa. There's no way of taking a repetition or your karma from Reddit to, to, to Quora. So what we're trying to do here is you're, t- you're taking a repetition from Iagon, but you're building on top of it in different protocols. What that does is, is big. Um, it allows you as a user to build your repetition throughout different protocols, meaning that you can become a valuable member of the community. People don't know that there are so many great people out there that have done great things. So this rewards positive behavior in the ecosystem. So it, it'll be on-chain and off-chain. So off-chain would be like something like bug reports, th- different tax that Iagon gives, and you're earning badges as you go, and you're able to use that repetition and move to a different protocol and say, hey, this is my repetition. I want to be participating in your protocol. And you're incentivized and protocols are incentivized to give you because you have such a great track history and uh, great trust. This is why this is important. This can be used in governance models because now you as a user have a reputation and you should be able to, it shouldn't matter of the amount of ADA you hold, the mo- amount of monetary value you hold. It should be more focused on the amount of good you have done in the community and the ecosystem. So now your governance matters should matter more because your vote matters more in the ecosystem because you've done so much good in the ecosystem, right? It shouldn't be based on monetary belt, not alone, at least, right? So a little bit of it, but also the repetition. It can be modeled into paying back loans. It could be used in many, many different scenarios. And then we have Fluxion. Uh, Fluxion is also, uh, a, if it gets approved, it's a more so a custom query system for, for the Canano blockchain. Basically, you can uh, query the blockchain in a very fast and easy way uh, and that will improve tools like Tap Tools and uh, Cerberus, where they have, uh, you know, the data is not fed to them instantaneously. We want to make sure that 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 uh, it's it's not as expensive for startups to come into the Cardano space because we we face that problem ourselves, where DBSync is very hard and very expensive. And I think that this will alleviate the effects. And we're using the decentralized storage uh, Igon. As, as a premise for saving costs on that. So a lot of things happening in, in the future for sure, but you know the g- general vision is uh, computing by the people for the people. Wow, solving so many Web3 problems, um, both within and outside of the Cardano space. And actually I love it how you guys are um, committed and have got so many proposals going through and, and, and please guys check them out on Catalyst um, to actually help Cardano as a whole, you know, really bootstrap it and give it that kind of the reputation thing, I think is huge. I think we haven't governance and, and reputation and all these things that you can apply blockchain to, again, are massively underlooked, but world changing. Certainly, if we're going to move towards DeFi and things like these, this something like reputation is and how do you track that is a massive problem that it seems like you guys are solving. Nav, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on, my friend. Um, and hopefully, and I'm sure they will. Um, my audience absolutely loves this conversation as much as I have. Thank you very much, Nav. And hopefully I can speak to you again very soon in the future.
Awesome. Thanks for having me on and definitely talking in the future.